How was your uh, How was your work party? It was good. I left before they started the karaoke. Was it a work party or like a work event? Like, were you working while you were there? Was it like a team building thing? It was or? like a team building like work event thing. Oh, okay. Um, I mean, it was a fun team building work event. Like, there was beer and like alcohol, and people were like, and it was all paid for, uh-huh. so it was fun. Right. We got to do a, a team building exercise, uh, the classic two truths and a line. Ooh. Uh, although we made it a little bit more fun because we made it like a conversational thing. So right. like while you're just sitting around, I'm like, tell me one of your facts. Uh, my facts, by the way, I just pulled out my card, were uh, my great-grandfather is uh, sci-fi author Theodore Sturgeon. Uh, he's he's not super famous anymore. He was kind of bigger in the 50s, 60s era. Mm-hmm. Um, he, never, he didn't win a lot of awards, but he has one named after him, which is pretty cool. That is pretty cool. The Theodore Sturgeon Award. Okay. Uh, my other fact was I read 52 books a year. It's a personal goal of mine, mm-hmm. uh, roughly one a week. Uh, and then my final fact is that I'm a sixth grade dropout. Uh, that in sixth grade I decided uh, with my parents uh, that I should stop going to school. And so I did. Hmm. And then I did other things like went to uh, private school part-time, went to community college, was homeschooled. Yeah, the, the whole gamut. Yeah, a little bit of everything really. The lie is the... Uh, Theodore Sturgeon? Yeah. Okay. I went I went with somebody kind of obscure. Like the idea was that like it wouldn't be too famous. Right. But I was I wasn't sure if I should have gone like uncle or grandfather. I thought I put a lot of thought into this lie. Yeah. I, I feel like I don't even know if I know who Theodore Sturgeon is, and the name vaguely sounds familiar, but maybe just because you it's, said it. It's <laughs> this is the thing, is he's he's right on that cusp of like right. if you're a sci fi fan, you know who he is. Right. If you read a lot of sci fi fiction and things like that, yeah. But uh it's so as well. Like, it's like, yeah, it's kind of cool. That's why I went with like the direct descendant as opposed to like great uncle. Right, right. Um, do you? So do you actually read fifty-two books yeah, a year? Usually more. Usually, okay. How long have you been doing that? Uh, about three years now. I think it's my fourth year, third or fourth. I track them all on Goodreads, so uh, I can actually tell you how many books I've read in each year for the last few years. That's um. That's a lot of books. It is a lot of books. Uh, so 2013 is my first year that I, I have measured counting. Uh, and that was 56. Uh, 2014 was 65. 2015 was 63. And this year, and we're, you know, end of July, I'm at 31. Not bad. Yeah. Uh, I, I do point out as a caveat, not as a caveat, but as a, as a point of clarification, graphic novels are a part of that as well. So I'm not reading like 52 novel length works okay uh so there's i mean like i read um you know last year i read six or seven volumes of what was that stupid manga called attack on titan okay uh a lot of people love it i read enough of it to know that i don't like it uh, (laughs) and so quit that's uh that's something I'm bad at. If I don't like something, I still feel obligated to finish it just because. Well, so the cool thing about a manga is it's, a, it's an ongoing serialization. So, like, if I read, like, if it's a 30-volume series and I read 10, I'm like, well, I've read a lot. And I can finish this 10th one That's and a good then point. quit. Yeah. Uh, rather than feeling I have to finish the entire series. Yeah. I'm, uh, to my great shame, I am uh, a bad reader. Like, I love reading. I mm-hmm. just don't do it much. Yeah. Um, which is something I should try to be better at. Uh, but my uh, analog is TV shows. I usually wait until a TV show is completed before I start watching it so yeah. I know what I'm 
getting into. Uh, but then if I don't like it, like I'll still watch it. Like I can't be like, no, I watched a couple episodes and, and it wasn't, uh, for, me wasn't and for me, so I stopped. No, I'll just suffer through because I'm a completionist who hates himself. Yeah, clearly. I mean, I'm a pretty strong completionist. Like, I've got to watch it all. Yeah. But if I'm not liking it, I'll quit. Like, I don't need to have the finished story to know that I dislike something. Like, I'll do that if I'm watching a show as it airs. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, I'll watch a couple weeks of a show mm -hmm. and then be like, you know what? No, not for me. And it's easy to quit because there aren't a uh, hundred episodes already waiting there waiting, yeah. waiting to be watched. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I did that. Uh, the first show I remember, like, consciously quitting... Uh, like there were shows that I stopped watching because I didn't have a desire to anymore, but it wasn't like a, an effort. Because mm -hmm. uh, like Prison Break, I watched the first season of and it was really good. And I watched a couple of the second season and was like, eh, I don't care anymore. Yeah. Uh, but Glee was a show that I actively said, no, I am done watching this. Hmm. And I did it about a season too late. Like, <laughs> uh, I don't know if you've watched Glee at all. I have seen some episodes of it. Uh, the first season of Glee is almost perfect. I love hmm. it. Uh, and it's like even just the first 13 seasons could be a standalone unique thing and be amazing. Hmm. Uh, and the second half of the season is is strained but still really good. Yeah. Uh, and it got progressively worse as time went on. And it was about the fourth season that I quit like for good. Yeah. Because uh, the kids all graduated from high school. Oh, right. And they were going to still follow them and bring in new kids in the high school. But then they also split like half the series was in New York. And I was just like, nah, I'm done. I should have quit two or three seasons before then, but I quit yeah. at that point. And you're about as predisposed to enjoy that show as anyone could be, right? Yeah, I'm, I would say so. I mean, I watched the pilot episode. when it, So when the, the, the show premiered, they played the pilot like once and then played it again a couple weeks later. Uh -huh. And it was available for free on iTunes and I got it mm -hmm. and watched it repeated. Like the pilot episode is an amazing piece of television. Hmm. And uh, so I stuck with it. Like, I met Amy through Glee. No like, way. That would, like, we met in grad school. Like, we were, but we connected yeah. over Glee. That's funny. Uh, we, like, before we were ever dating, we're like, hey, I'm watching Glee. It's like, oh, I'm watching Glee. And we got together and just watched Glee, like, on a weekly basis. It was Wednesday nights. We'd get together and watch Glee. Wow. Uh, before we were really dating. I and mean, we did other things with the, the like we did on Fridays with the whole, cl whole class and stuff like that. But that was, like, our first, like, time together. Uh-huh. And she stopped watching before I did. <laughs> and I stuck with it longer than I should have. Uh, although I did do a thing when season six of Glee started. Uh, so I must have stopped in, at the beginning of season four. But when season six of Glee started, it was kind of a reboot of the series. In that uh, two of the main characters came back to their hometown and became the new... Glee Club teachers. Oh no! Uh, and and with special guest appearances by all their old Glee friends, obviously. Of course, because you know their lives and elsewhere had failed, and so they came back. And because no, because the show was hemorrhaging viewers, and they were desperate. Well, so those those two <laughs> actors had never quit the show; they were on it the whole time. Oh, okay. Um, but just these this after the fifth season, they came back and. We're back in their town of Lima, Ohio, which looks a lot like Los Angeles and nothing like Ohio. <laughs> um, like it's the middle of winter and there's no snow. Huh, that's weird. <laughs> I lived in Ohio when this was happening. No. <laughs> I thought Ohio and L.A. were very similar. You'd think so if you watch TV. <laughs> uh, so they came back and I tried watching it, season six of Glee, and I did it 
with with like a head. So you're familiar with the term headcanon? Yes. Uh, you know, where you kind of make up what's actually happening in the story and it's better than what's what's going on on the thing. Right. A, a desperate attempt by viewers to m- maintain enjoyment of something. Yes. Yeah. And so I watched Glee Season 6 with um, a headcanon theory. And so I'd, I'd given up on Glee in season, at the beginning of Season 4. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'd kind of decided that Season 2, 3, and 4 didn't exist. Like, I, I was like, you know what? There's one season of Glee and it's this one and it's good. Okay. In the same way some people think there's only one Die Hard movie or one uh, um, <laughs> right. Matrix movie. The, or the prequels, the Star Wars prequels don't exist. What now? <laughs> the who? The <What> prequels? <laughs> yeah. Uh, that sort of stuff. And and so I oh, often jokes like, oh, Glee was a great show. It shouldn't have been canceled after its first season. Yeah. Uh, they <laughs> something good with it. And people were like, but that go in No. Uh, and so I pretended that season six of Glee was an actual reboot of Glee. Taking place a few, like, so season one existed. It was great. Low ratings. It was kind of a weird, quirky show. Uh-huh. Uh, it was on Fox. It got canceled. Like, that's what's going to happen. Classic Fox. Um, but the, the fan demand was so high. There was this huge fandom and tons of fan fiction out there. People just love these characters. Right. Um, and so they decided to bring it back and do, like, Glee the Next Generation. And, you know, the, the, the main characters were way too old to be in high school anymore. They were too old to be in high school when the show started. Right. And so now it's really bad. And it's like, well, we'll bring in a bunch of other kids and you know, have them be the high school students, and they'll be like the teachers of the Glee Club. And we can't get Cory Monteith back because he died of a heroin overdose, uh, which is which is true. Yikes! And kind of sad that I made that joke, but uh, he actually did die. Uh, the actor did. I had no idea. Yeah, uh, it was actually pretty tragic. Like I'm I'm making light of it in this moment, but uh, yeah. it was like while he was in the show, it happened. And the show had to deal with it, and did a very very good tribute to him in the context of the show. Yeah. Wow. Um, and so he wasn't in this this headcanon season that I'm watching, season six. Right. Um, and I was trying to like say like maybe this would work, like maybe that was you know if they truly like did a full reboot on the show. Um, and there were a couple episodes that were just so bad I had to stop watching again. Oh man, that's uh, disappointing. So I do want to go back at some point and like finish Glee season six, but I don't care about anything in the middle. Yeah, that's a good way to think about it. Yeah. Just come up with your own headcanon that makes it enjoyable. But yeah, you, but you have to suffer through watching the real bad thing and then analyzing it to figure out how you want it to be. Well, that's that's sort of like where it, it was. Like, it had yeah. had that actually worked, and they'd sort of treated it like that. It could have been a really successful right, show, right? Um, but it's also come to my attention through Glee and through other things that Ryan Murphy can't make a show that's any good after the first season. <laughs> uh, so Ryan Murphy did American Horror Story. Uh-huh. Uh, he did uh, Nip Tuck was one of his first big hits. Hmm. Um, and he's done a couple others since then, I think. He's He's got his fingers in a lot of pies. Um, and he burns through stories so fast mm-hmm. that he can't, you can't go on with it. You can't do more. And after the first season, it's terrible. And that's what's funny is he tried to make American Horror Story work like that, where every season was a new first season. Right. Um, but the rest of the seasons aren't very good. Yeah. Like, they, they have ups and downs, but they don't ever match the original. That's season. another show I haven't seen. Not my style, though. First season's really good. So I hear. Um, yeah. It's um, a shame they canceled it. Okay. We're still going to get to the Iron Giant. <laughs> but while we're talking about television, um, yeah. have you watched Netflix's Stranger Things? I have, and it's amazing. Cool. I just I watched it in like two days. Yeah. We watched uh, it in about three days. 
uh, loved it. I loved it so much. Yeah. Uh, like, it was just so... Like, some shows inspire, like, like crazy devotion and, like, like that kind of, like, fanatic mm-hmm. love in me. Like, um, Battlestar Galactica and... The original? No, unfortunately. <laughs> uh, like... Like, you know, dramas like that where I just get, like, so, so into it. Yeah. But um, for me, Stranger Things, it was just, like, just, like, this comfortable, warm, like, like night at home. Yeah. Like, just relaxing in front of a fire. Like, I felt so... I did not find that show relaxing like, at I, all. But, but, <laughs> the, but I felt so, like, just embraced and loved by the show. Yeah. Just tonally. Yeah. Because of the style, the old 80s sure. style, the music. Like, it was just something I could, like, curl up with and enjoy in a nice, relaxing way. Sure, it was, like, pretty suspenseful and there was some kind of scary stuff, but, oh, man, it just, it was made for people from, like, who were children in, like, the 80s and early yeah. 90s. They, they just nailed it. I mean, it it was so impressive, like, how they how they nailed the tone, but made it their own thing and unique. Right. And, and there was tons of references, but you know, so many times when I've seen a thing, it, like, makes a lot of references to the past. If you don't get a reference, you feel like, Oh, I don't know what happened there, and I really do to understand what's going on, right? Or to get the joke, or to what to do whatever, right? But they succeeded in in speaking that language and making those references in many cases very obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, things like Eleven exploring the house, uh, like direct callbacks to ET, the right. bike chase, right? Um, like these these like super obvious things, but then lots of much more subtle things uh-huh. that. That if you catch, oh, that's kind of cool. That's like talking, that's like referencing this. But if you don't, you don't care because the story is amazing. It's amazingly told. It's well acted. Yeah. The act, the characters are great. The kids nail it. The kids Those are, are some of the best so child good. actors I have ever seen. And like hilarious. The kids yeah. are really funny. And like, and when they're scared, they're really scared. Yeah. Like, oh, they killed it. It's it so cool amazing. to see child actors. Yeah. You can't, you can't get child actors that good. No. Especially in uh, the, especially Eleven's, the the actress who plays Eleven, mm-hmm. she's mostly very like serious and weird and mysterious. Yeah. Like she's not just being a normal kid. Yeah. Like it's probably I feel like it can be easy for a kid to act like a normal kid. You're you know energetic and rambunctious and mm-hmm. funny and weird. But like she was, you know, she's mysterious. She's yeah. come came from this laboratory, but. Getting a kid to act that really well must have been really yeah. hard. Or she's, she was she's super talented. Really good. Yeah, yeah. Um, one of my I, a fun fact I learned from reading an interview or something about that show is um, the actress who played Eleven didn't want to cut her hair. I mean, she's got this buzz cut the whole time, which which you get. Like, yeah. I, I respect that. Yeah, you know, I understand. Um, but apparently, the director showed her Mad Max Fury Road, <gasps> and was like, "Charlize Theron did," and she's like, "Yep, I'm in." Oh, I love that. <laughs> I love that. She's like Charlize Theron shaved her head. I'm in. Let's do it. <laughs> yeah, if someone if someone used that on me, it would work too. Yeah, like Jesse, we really, we really need you to shave your head. Charlize Theron did it. Yeah, okay, okay, fine. Yeah, if Charlize <laughs> did it, I'll do I'll do it for her. Yeah. Um. Uh, is there are there more seasons of Stranger Things planned? Do we know this? So uh, it's not officially been ordered yet by Netflix. Okay. Uh, the directors, writers, whatever, the Duffer brothers, the creators, mm-hmm. um, have said that they have plans for multiple seasons. They've got a multi-season plan. Cool. Um, which I'm kind of like, okay, I could I could do with more. Like, again, yeah. the show is great and I love it. Um, part of me also wants to go like, do we need more? 
do I need more story? Yeah, I'm conflicted on it too. Yeah, because I would I will gladly watch more things made by the same people mm-hmm. in the same style. Mm-hmm. Like even t- even telling stories about the same characters. Yeah, but I'm worried about creating another show universe where the mysteries get deeper and deeper and you half solve one mystery to uncover two more like Mm -hmm. it's the classic lost problem yeah right like i i would almost love it if it was just this one season this one perfect season of television like the they they solve a problem they fix a thing they solve a mystery in this season and Uh but it ends with a couple questions unanswered and some you know little things you can continue and follow which is fine. It's totally endable and finishable where it is. Mm-hmm. And I'm uh, I'm so nervous about it continuing and then just delving deeper yeah. into this thing and getting worse. Yeah. Well, and, and the stuff that you're left with at the end mm-hmm. is, you know, talking about this sort of 80s, you know, late 80s, early 90s tone. Mm-hmm. Like, that's that tone. Right. That sort of ambiguity at the end of like, oh, we've well, we've solved all the thing, it's all done, or is it? Yeah. And then you but like you stop. Right. Uh, I mean the, the the classic example uh that always comes to my mind is uh the the film Carrie. Have you ever seen Carrie? I actually haven't. Really? Yeah. It's good. Like I know about it. Yeah. Um but Carrie has a very famous final scene. Right. Um which is uh, Carrie has died. Spoilers. Uh, the movie's old. I don't care if you don't know by now. You're yeah, we're not going to spoil Stranger Things, but, but we we'll, can we're spoil, spoil Carrie. Carrie. We're also going to spoil Iron Giant soon. <laughs> don't try to Iron what now? Weasel your way out of this. And uh, her one friend or whatever goes to like lay flowers on her grave, mm-hmm. um, and she reaches down to do it, and a hand bursts out of the grave and grabs her arm. Cut to black. Oh, that's the end of the movie. That's the end of Carrie. Oh wow, I didn't know that. Uh, and it's it's this this you know Brian De Palma I think was the director uh, put it in there. Stephen King loved it. He goes Brian De Palma put a better ending on this movie than I did because <laughs> that's not in the book. Wow. Um, and it's this this amazing scene and yeah. then and then it's done. It's over. Like there's right there is no more. But when. Uh... Back in those days, when you did something like that, you did it because it was awesome and a great way to end a movie. Yes. And it, like, caps off a scene in a great way. Yeah. Um, nowadays, when you do it... Uh, it's a sequel hook. Right. Like, side-eye at the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Yeah. Like, anything that could potentially lead to something in the future is unsatisfying because it has to lead to something yes. in the future. And that is just the most exhausting thing in the world. Yeah. We're in this, like vortex of movies leading to other movies leading to other movies that which means you never get a movie that ends or starts right the you don't world. get a movie as a complete unit we've been in the middle for years it's all act two yeah and we'll never get an act three no because by the time we do it'll be because the marvel cinematic universe isn't making money anymore and it won't be making money anymore because no one will care yeah it's yeah yeah, I've gotten progressively disappointed with the Marvel movies, which is weird considering how much I love. Like Avengers came out. Uh huh. I'm like, when I walked out of the theater for the original Avengers, uh, directed by Joss Whedon, uh-huh. and said I would buy this movie on DVD for fifty dollars right now. <laughs> oh wow! <laughs> like that's basically like if I was like if there was a thing where you could walk out of a movie you just saw and then buy it, I would buy it for this movie. Wow. Um, and I did buy it almost immediately after it came out. Like usually yeah. I was pretty frugal with my DVD Blu-ray choices, but I was like, nope, day one purchased. Man. 
And I feel, still think it holds up. I think it's a really good film. It is really good. But, like, I felt the opposite of that at Avengers 2. Right. Like, nothing progressed. It's just or did all... You, did you see Civil War? No. I haven't seen... I haven't seen most Marvel movies that have come out in a long yeah. time. Civil War was bad? Like, <laughs> you think it was straight up bad? I think so. See, a lot of people talked about how good it was compared to how Marvel's been lately. They did, and I think they're wrong. A lot of that is probably just like, oh my god, we just saw this crazy spectacle in a theater. And and it was it was certainly spectacular. Right. A lot of people, that makes them feel as if they just watched a really good movie, though, but, when they come out of a theater. Captain America and Iron Man fight each other because the plot tells them to. Yeah. Not because they have any sort of emotional investment in what's going on. Uh-huh. Like, I don't know why Captain America's on one side and why Iron Man's on the other. I don't know what the thing they're fighting over matters. It's because it's called Civil War. Yes. <laughs> it is. Because there's a, have... there was a comic book that was called Civil War where that happens, so now there's a movie And we're going to have all of these people, and they're going to pick a side for reasons that don't exist because yeah. some got to be on team cap and some got to be on team iron man mm-hmm. and then they're gonna fight for a reason that doesn't make sense but looks really good yeah and then they're gonna fight some more later and then iron man's gonna punch tony star or punch captain america and they're gonna punch each other and then and then the movie ends with no resolution and then there's the post-credits sequence don't forget isn't there always a post credit yeah, sequence? I don't know what it was. Yeah, that's because I don't care. Right. It's hard. It it's... was maybe. Was it, what movies come out? Thor next? I don't think it was a Thor scene. I'm completely tuned out from the Marvel yeah. system. But anymore. like the end of the movie happens and there is no resolution. It just. Like just... Tony Stark and Iron Man still hate each other. Oh, they just stopped fighting? Yeah. For the end of the movie. It, yeah. <laughs> There's kind of a truce. It's not even like a real truce. It's like we're not fighting right now. Okay, like we're gonna. So it's we're gonna fight now, and then we're not gonna fight now. Post credit sequence, couple months until the next movie. Yeah, that's how Marvel works now. Like like no story was told. Yeah, characters get introduced because we want them to be introduced. So like, uh, Peter Parker shows up. Right. And that's a big deal because, hey, Peter Parker, we get the rights to Peter Parker. Let's use him. Yeah. Like, that's what. And to be fair, good scene. Like, the okay. use of Peter Parker, the use of Spider Man, great. Yeah. Like, I was really happy. I think they nailed the character for the first time, really, since Tobey Maguire and Spider Man 2. And they did a better job than that. Spider Man 2 was a very good movie. Yes. Oh, I love that movie. I agree. Yeah. Um, but I think Tobey Maguire never fully got Spider Man as a character. He was too weird. Yes. He still is. <laughs> um,. Wasn't he also a hobbit? Or am I thinking of somebody else? You're thinking of somebody else. He, he was, was Frodo. Elijah Wood. Elijah Wood. I get confused. I can see that. Um, <laughs> anyway. Uh, <laughs> Tobey Maguire's Spider-Man was... And Spider-Man 2 was great. Like, yeah. it, was a, it was still a good film. Yeah. Um, and Spider-Man and Peter Parker in new one, really good. I think mm-hmm. he does a good job. I think he nails the character. He's constantly making... Like almost witty remarks because he's like a teenager and he doesn't take any of this seriously and he's just kind of making fun of everything. Right. right. And it works really well. Um, they introduce Black Panther. Um, 
and he looks cool, although there's not a lot of characterization around him. Like I think they did a terrible job. And and um, Amy pointed out something really interesting. Uh, I don't notice music in movies. Okay, it's just a weird thing that my brain doesn't like. I'm sure it impacts my experience. Right. Like if there wasn't music, that would be weird. Uh huh. But I don't ever like notice it. It's what if it's like a soundtrack of pop songs like I'll notice you, that you'll notice like oh i know this song yeah that's playing. i'll notice okay. that um, like a score like a oh interesting yeah i'm sure it does affect you and yeah you I, like i it. like yeah. absolutely yeah but i don't notice it and and short of things like star wars where it's that score is a part of pop culture right i wouldn't know like if you played the um blade runner score for me right now i'd have no idea he said, this movie is either Blade Runner or uh, Buck Rogers from the 21st century. <laughs> I would go, yeah, probably. Yeah, I wouldn't. I, I mean, I guess I'm similar. I wouldn't be able to, I wouldn't be able to tell that. But there are people who do. And there are people, and there are people who notice it and, and right. have intellectual responses to it. And I'm not one of those. Hmm. Um, but apparently the Black Panther theme, because he has a recurring theme in the movie that I didn't, mm-hmm. didn't pick up on. Uh, at least consciously pick up on. Yeah. Um, so Black Panther is... Uh, Marvel's first African superhero. Okay. Um, both in the comics and in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Oh, cool. And I say African, not African-American, because he is from a fictional African country. Okay. Uh, the country of Wakanda. Um, which is an interesting country in the comics and sort of a rich history and is the only place you can get um, vibranium, which is a big deal. Is that a real thing or a fake thing? It's a fake thing. It's okay. what Captain America's shield's made of. Okay. Let's it bounce around. Because it vibrates. Yeah. I yeah. got it. Yeah. It's kind of like uh, Unobtainium mm-hmm. from Avatar. Or Unobtainium from the movie The Core. Okay. They're uh, a little hard to obtain. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but so Wakanda is a really interesting country and things like this. Uh, but apparently Black Panther's score is all like flutes. Hmm. Uh, which Amy's response was like, what's the one sound that's like a part of almost all African music. Flutes? It's not flutes. <laughs> like drums. drums. Yeah. No drums in his theme. What, what do flutes have to do with it? I guess like you can use flutes to convey something else that's essential yeah. to his character, but... But like if you're going to have like an African character, like maybe you respect that culture or the multitude of cultures that exist in Africa and like draw from them for inspiration. Yeah. Or play some flutes. Or yeah. play some flutes. Yeah. Um, and his character is not, in my opinion, well thought out. Or, like, I mean, strongly motivated. Yeah. There's, the movie's not good. Not a good movie. <laughs> That's okay. This is also, uh, I'm very glad that there are people who are not making movies like this. And in a way, I'm almost fine that this type of movie exists, this large cinematic universe mm-hmm. Because, like, there's always got to be the dumb blockbuster that makes a lot of money that, get, that gets people into seats in the summer. Like, yeah, But can't those be good? They could They could be, but they're not always going to be. And they do a decent job of making them entertaining and spectacular they're in the spectacular, moment. spectacular, yeah. And, like, it's almost, you know, like, it's almost fine. Like, they could, they could be so much worse. You know what I mean? Like, there was a time when the big spectacle blockbuster movie was Transformers. And now at least yeah. they're, they're better than that. Slightly. <laughs> so like there's been, I feel like there's been some progress. Like there's at least this, in this cinematic universe yeah. factory, there's at least some reliability. 
some like re- decent reliability yeah. about it. But there's also a time like you know what the first summer blockbuster was? Uh, Jaws, right? Jaws, which is incredible, a <laughs> like perfect film. Yeah, yeah, just about. And yeah, it was thrilling and scary, and people get eaten by sharks, and there's that amazing theme, yeah. which I do notice. Like I noticed that one <laughs> uh, again. Like <laughs> noticing the Jaws theme and the Star Wars like music; those are like pop songs. By yeah, this point. yeah. yeah. Um, you know, another great uh, summer blockbuster film from the '80s was The Wrath of Khan, which I haven't seen. I'm not a Star Trek. Person. I know. I know it's Star Trek, but I know. I... Oh. Uh, for my birthday or anniversary a few years ago, uh-huh. the Alamo Drafthouse played Wrath of Khan on 35mm film, like, full screen. Oh, God, it was an amazing experience. That's pretty cool. It's a great film. That's and it's, cool. and it is a great film. Like, I, yeah. I, in, independent of being a Star Trek film, I think it's an amazing film. Okay. Uh, and, like, so, like, a blockbuster can be good. Oh, Yeah. Yeah, they can be. I want them to be good. And it happens sometimes, right? Yeah, maybe. I have a bad memory when I'm trying to think of specific examples of things, but I can't really think of like a... Well, let's look at the top grossing movies of the last 10 years. Okay, so... Okay. A lot of the times, really good things, really good movies that make a lot of money are now Pixar movies. Which, to me, are categorically different from like mm-hmm. your general blockbuster because they're different kinds of movies, but they're widely, widely um, like acceptable to the general population, and they're funny and filled with action and very, you know general family movies. Yeah, but they're usually pretty good, and they always make tons of money. They do. I'll give you that. Um... But blockbuster seems to be more of a genre like definer than it is an amount of money definer. <laughs> So I went to thenumbers.com, which is apparently where data and movie business meet. Sure. Um, and it, the table below lists the top grossing movies released in each calendar year. The, the very first line on the list, 2023, Avatar 5. What? <laughs> uh, <laughs> wait, we're going to go from – we're going to go from somewhere between Avatar 1 and 2 in 2016 to – Four more of them in... 2023. In seven years? Apparently. Wow. So um, take this all the green. Can't wait for the Avatar Cinematic Universe. So um, this year so far, it's apparently Finding Dory. Star Wars last year. Star Wars is a great example. Star Wars is a blockbuster that is... That came out in November. So it's not a summer blockbuster, but <laughs> yeah. it, that is as blockbuster as you can get. Yeah. It is as generally like marketed as you can get. Mm-hmm. And it's really good. Yeah. Uh, Star Wars American Sniper the year before that. Didn't see. Uh, did Hunger I. Games Catching Fire. Yeah. Uh, the Avengers, the original one, which was good. Classic blockbuster. Good yeah. Uh, Harry Potter and Deathly Hallows Part 2, which I didn't see, but I heard was good. You haven't seen the Harry Potter movies? I thought you were a Harry Potter person. I am. I haven't seen most of them. I haven't seen... I've seen the first five. I think the only one I haven't seen is the last one. Oh, interesting. It is. You don't care for them? They're fine. Oh. Uh, the third one's really good. I mean, directed by Alfonso Cuaron before he was a terrible director. That's not true. He's a pretty good director. He's a <laughs> terrible writer. <laughs> What's he making now? I don't know. The last thing he made was Gravity, I think. 
Oh, that was a cool movie. It was spectacular. Yeah. That's all it was. See, oh, man, there's so many things I want to talk about. Like, Gravity was... I thought Gravity was good, but it also just, like, lacked a lot of the stuff that could have made it bad. Yeah. Right? Like, yeah. barely anything happens. And that helps. Like, and there were barely any characters, but you're just watching an amazing thing happen, and it was spectacular, yeah. so it was good. It didn't really try to do anything else. Yeah. Uh, I switched to Box Office Mojo, which does not project into the future. Okay, good. Um, Toy Story 3. Sure. Yeah. Uh, Avatar, obviously. But Avatar was not a good movie. No. Spectacular. Nobody, nobody talks about Avatar anymore. Yeah, I was I was uh, reading about this recently. It is the... For the amount of money and impact it had in those like couple months while I was in theaters, yeah. it has, has had zero effect on popular culture. Yeah. Nobody's dressing up as blue people. No. Cat people. I mean, someone probably is. They're probably into that. <laughs> There's always somebody. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the Dark Knight, uh, which has not aged well, I don't think. Um, and it, that could be just Christopher Nolan's later films, which I like progressively less each time he makes a new movie. Yep, exactly. Because um, I think he's, he's become a one-trick pony. Uh, the Dark Knight is its a really good movie. Uh, too closely associated with... Um, with the kind of bros who like Fight Club, yeah, those bros. What's, I don't know if there's like a, a term for Fight Club bros, but they're also Dark Knight bros. Uh, I believe uh, the the current phrase is Ghost Bros from Ghostbusters. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think there's a big Venn diagram yeah. right there. Uh, Dark Knight, Dark Knight, Spider Man Three, uh, which was not great, but it was you know not terrible. Uh, Dead Man's Chest, Pirates of the Caribbean. Oh, cla- remember when those were big? Classic, worthless blockbuster. Yeah, I didn't see it. Neither did I. But I'd believe you. But the first one was truly a phenomenon. Revenge of the Sith, 2005. That's So we've gone 10 years back. Revenge wow. of the Sith was only 11 years ago. Wow. 11 or 12, yeah. That's weird. Speaking of not aging well, and yeah. also not aging well after one day, as it has after 10 years. Uh, and then quickly, quickly getting us back to 2000... Uh, Shrek 2, Return of the King, Spider-Man, Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone, and then The Grinch was the highest grossing film in the year 2000. The, I'm afraid to say it, the Jim Carrey one? (laughs) Oh dear. Um, So top films that year, uh, How the Grinch Stole Christmas, Cast Away, Mission Impossible 2, Gladiator, What Women Want, uh, with Mel Mel Gibson, Uh, The Perfect Storm, Meet the Parents, X-Men comes in at number eight, Scary Movie at nine, and What Lies Beneath at number ten. Not a great year, Hollywood. Not a great year. <laughs> Give that one a miss. Such heady days in 2000. Okay, we're going to find our way to the Iron Giant, and here's how we're going to do it. How are we going to do it? So we talked about TV movies, superhero movies. Mm-hmm. Do you know what the best superhero movie is? You mean the best Superman movie? No. No? No, we're not there yet. we got one more step. Do you know what the best... <laughs> The best superhero movie, yes, Mystery Men. Okay, I don't know what that is, but no, it's that the is, best superhero movie. No, it, no, it's not. It is by far. No, it is not. I love that movie. Uh, it is amazing. Maybe I'll watch it and have an informed opinion. But right now, my opinion is <laughs> no, it's not because the best superhero movie ever is The Incredibles. Okay, okay, The Incredibles. The Incredibles is a great superhero movie. It's got to be top three of all time, <laughs> right after Mystery Men. Okay. Uh, the Incredibles is so good and it is a superhero movie that doesn't 
feel like a superhero movie except for the fact that there's actually superheroes in it. Sure. Um, oh, I love it. Yeah. So here's how we get to Iron Giant. Okay. We're not going to talk about The Incredibles anymore than that? I don't know. You, do you have opinions on it? It's a great movie. It's a great movie. Uh, I love the fact that it's got Jason Lee in it because I think he's a really funny actor. Yeah. Because uh, I'm a huge Kevin Smith fan, particularly early Kevin Smith. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, Clerks, Mallrats, mm-hmm. Chasing Amy, Dogma, those years. Oh, you're not getting me out of this. Um, the, uh, the Incredibles was directed by Brad Bird. Yeah. Which I think was his first for Pixar. Think? I feel like he did one before that. He, he was involved in Pixar from the very early stages. But that was, I think that was his first directing gig at Pixar. Didn't he do Adventureland? Wasn't that his as well? I don't know. I don't remember. Nobody watched Adventureland. Is that the one about the 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 theme park? Yeah. Yeah, that was a good movie. Was it? Did was you right. see it? Yeah. I think Brad Bird directed it. It doesn't seem like a Brad Bird movie. I kind of want to check now. Okay, check. Uh, but I'm trying to derail you. Is it working? Brad Brad Bird. <laughs> Also directed Iron Giant. Not Brad Bird. Hmm? I, I typed Brad, but it spelled it bread. Oh. <laughs> Bread Bird. <laughs> um So Mine and Your History with Iron Giant is complicated. <laughs> and it started with me talking about how much I like the Iron Giant at work. You did, you and, said that. And you confessing that you had never, never seen, seen the it. Iron Giant, and then me yelling at you and getting mad at you for a very long time as you continued to defy my wishes and not watch the iron giant yeah that's that's pretty much what happened i feel like we made a deal where like i asked if you'd seen something in particular and you hadn't i said well if you watch that i'll watch the iron giant i don't remember what it was but i probably watched it. you did you totally watched it and Uh, i still didn't watch the iron giant but then you were uh you were on vacation i was was on vacation i was in uh, north carolina went out Uh to the beach it was nice Mm -hmm. uh and so what what actually spurred this was the fact that movies with mikey made an episode (laughs) right uh because movies with mikey is is a youtube show check it out it's great if you like movies uh, and I really respect his opinions on a lot of things. And he said, I'm going to make an Iron Giant episode. And I'm like, oh, that's really cool. I guess I should watch Iron Giant now. Stranger on the internet made me watch it instead of my friend Jesse. It's okay. Movies with Mikey is really smart. And I would trust his opinion more than mine too. Yeah. Uh, speaking of the one he did on uh, Harry Potter and the Order of the, Order of the Phoenix. Uh, the one Alphonse Curon directed. Oh. The third one. Uh-huh. A really good episode. Yeah? Yeah. I didn't watch it because I haven't seen the movie. You haven't seen Harry Potter either? I have not read or seen anything about Harry Potter. Ever? Ever. I read the first chapter of the first book of Harry Potter. Wow. Yeah. I want to like come over every night and read you a chapter a night until we're done. <laughs> yeah, never been interested. We're talking about the Iron Giant. <laughs> um, so... Did you watch the movie before you watched the Movies with Mikey episode? Yes. Yeah, I wasn't going to watch. Okay. So I mean, Movies with Mikey is is an analysis show. It's not a show to like say, hey, you should watch this, although it right. does. But it's like, I'm going to take this apart and like understand it. Right. And say something cool about it. Like, he always finds a new thing to talk about with a movie. Like, right. he did an episode on an episode on the Star Wars, uh, The Force Awakens. And mm-hmm. people were like, everybody said he's already said everything about this movie. You can't say anything. And he's like, no, I have something. Like, I wouldn't make it if I didn't think I had something unique and interesting to say. Hmm. And he did. And it's, a, it's an amazing episode. Uh, I showed it to our friend Robert, who uh, is, is, a, the, is the biggest Wars Star guy. Wars fan I know. Yep. Uh, and he was like, that's amazing. <laughs> that was outrageous. Uh, 
And so we made this, and I'm like, well, I guess I should watch Iron Giant now. And for a year or more, uh, the Iron Giant has been on HBO Go or HBO Now, uh-huh. uh, making it incredibly easy for me to watch. You have to like open the app and put on some headphones. Yeah, very easy, very easy, <laughs> Kevin. Uh, and so I got up, you know, I woke up one morning early while I was on vacation. Uh, everyone else was still just kind of puttering around or half asleep. And I watched it. It was a pretty good movie. Yeah, I want to know what you think. <laughs> Give me the thoughts. Um, so I'll be honest, like, The Iron Giant is, is an important movie. Like, that goes without saying. Sure. Uh, obviously, the, the, the career of Brad Bird is really impactful. Um, I think it showed Vin Diesel had a lot of range that people didn't know or expect. Yeah, he can play uh, you can play weird non-human characters with strange voices really yeah, well. Yeah, and he's done that like twice. Yeah. <laughs> um, but no, but I think, uh, you know, at the time Vin Diesel was like triple X, like action star. Right. And being able to bring a lot more to, to uh, an alien role. Yeah, uh, which is which was really fascinating, and I think so. It's very important, and I think I have like having seen it now, like I've absorbed quite a bit of information about the Iron Giant over the years. Yeah, it's hard not to. It's an older movie, yeah, with incredible importance. So yeah, you, you just um, get a lot of it. I mean, I want to start by talking about how beautiful it looks. Like, uh-huh. uh, you don't see. I mean, I'm sure people are still making 2D animated films, uh-huh. but you don't see 2D animated films that look like that very often anymore. Yeah, and I don't think I've ever seen an animated film in that style where it's so... The, besides just what was animated on screen, the way it was animated on screen made it feel like it was the 50s. Yes. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, I, I get what you're saying. Yeah, I mean, there was a lot of references to um, the old the old Superman animated series. Not, mm. not Superman the Animated Series, the TV show, but Superman the series of animated short films that existed in the 50s, <laughs> uh, which was not, which were just called Superman. Uh, Max, somebody made them. Check it on the internet. It's probably true. <laughs> um, but these very, these very unique sort of black and white at the time serials. Sure. Uh, Superman, have you ever seen any of those? They're really good. I haven't. Uh, you should watch them. I watched the Iron Giant. Come on. <laughs> okay. Uh, no, but uh, so it definitely hits a lot of that, and and very intentionally, kind of in the same way Stranger Things references yeah, that absolutely. time frame and yeah. uses the the filmic techniques of that time frame to make you feel. I, I mean, it's it's an amazing thing of using the medium to reflect the story and the message, which it should obviously always do. Like right. how you tell the story matters. But like the Iron Giant is an example of. Uh, Oh, we're doing it like perfectly. Mm-hmm. And the best part is the Iron Giant is a completely CGI character. Yeah. And I, I had to look that up. Like I stopped the movie halfway through to go, is that CGI? Yeah. It's crazy how they, they can blend it like that. And, and like, I, cause I mean, you see a lot of things that have CGI in them, be them animated or otherwise. And you're like, that's fake. Do you ever watch like a, especially like an animated, uh, like TV cartoon that's that's hand animated and then all of a sudden they like switch to like the 3d like view and it's like oh my god this one is cgi they totally did yeah. this scene in the computer yeah that sort of stuff uh where it's it's so blatantly oh, fake yeah. and and gross and it just jumps out um and and whatever they did on the iron giant like i feel like it was not just they didn't just take a 3d character and put him in a 2d space like there was a lot more work that went into it obviously right uh, but it was perfect uh and so i mean i I mean, the film itself is beautiful mm-hmm. visually, and it made me long for more 2D animated movies. Right. Uh, in a way that, you know, 
don't really exist anymore. You know, Disney did a lot of those, and Disney mm-hmm. still makes, I think, still makes two D animated films. Maybe. Uh, Sometimes the, the Frog Princess was two D. Oh yeah. Um, I wonder if Frozen wasn't. Still. No. Well, for a long time, I remember the last Disney film that was two D. Like this was when all Disney movies were Pixar movies, which happened for a while. <laughs> right. Um, the last one was like Home on the Range, which was like a movie about cows. <laughs> um, and for a long time, that was the like Disney's last 2D animated picture, yeah. which was just such a terrible note to end on. Yeah. Um, I mean, they've made more since then. I mean, to be fair, like I, Pixar is the one leading the way, but what you can do with 3D and, and CG animated, animated stuff now is also incredible in its own absolutely way. and totally, absolutely did, did you see the good dinosaur no so I, I watched that in theaters and it like wasn't anything super memorable but mm-hmm. like what computer animators are capable of doing now is yeah. unreal absolutely unreal the landscapes and like water and tree mm-hmm. and all that stuff like it's incredible it's it's crazy it looks real you know what cgi movie that i thought looked amazing that nobody else seemed to talk about um TMNT, the animated Ninja Turtles movie that was pre-Michael Bay but post Guys in Suits. I don't know if I know what this is. It's 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 actually considered by fans to be the fourth Ninja Turtles movie. Weird. I mean, it is it is a Ninja Turtles movie. Like, yeah. It's set in the Ninja Turtles worlds. Um, the Ninja Turtles cinematic universe. Yeah. So, you, you, did you watch the original three Ninja Turtle movies with Guys in Rubber Suits? Uh, or any of them? Maybe may one of them. Or, yeah. yeah. There were three, and they were okay like kid me loved all of them the oh, first yeah. one was actually a really good film the second two not so much i was more of a street sharks kind of guy yeah you would be <laughs> no that's not true uh, speaking of street sharks i can't think of street sharks without mentioning range rovers no what? road rovers excuse me what? road rovers so there were so many of these shows because of tmnt <laughs> that existed with like we're gonna anthropomorphize an animal and then it's gonna fight crime on a street <laughs> on a street yeah road rovers <laughs> Um, was probably the worst one of these. What kind of animal is that? Dogs. They're dogs. Rovers. Oh. Arf, arf. Oh. Come over, Rover. Oh, that's sad. Um, and like the German Shepherd was German. And, oh, how clever. And it was so terrible. But it did have one of my favorite lines that I still love today. Uh-huh. Um, which is, we'll be there in two shakes of a lamb's jiffy. <laughs> and so because that was the guy's the, this one particular guy he had trouble with English who so made malaprops malapropisms I don't know um, and someone was like what's a lamb's jiffy and he's like you don't want to know <laughs> and I love that joke from Road Rovers so weird uh, so <laughs> TMNT uh, was made pre-Michael Bay getting his grubby fingers on the Ninja Turtles <laughs> franchise he didn't direct those the new ones but he could have and they wouldn't have been any worse yeah and it was really good. And there, there were a couple of callbacks to the original three Ninja Turtles movies to the point where a lot of fans consider it to be canonical with those films. Interesting. And the CGI in it, I thought, was amazing. Like, I, I was blown away by it. What year was it? 2009, or... wow. I'm guessing. Uh, but yeah, but no, so in Good Dinosaur apparently had a fantastic CGI and it was a beautiful film. Yeah. But CGI also has this sort of problem of becoming photorealistic Uh which is not a problem per se like that's a goal because you can make these things that look real and are not and are and are fantastical can can do unreal things Mm -hmm. yeah 
And that's great. And that's a really cool thing. But I also don't want to lose 2D animation. Because it's its its own thing. Yeah. Yeah. And, and should be in the same way that stop motion animation is its own thing and right. very powerful. Or uh, black and white photography or black and white films yeah. are are shot in a very different way and right. shot because of the medium and create different emotions and different feels. And, you know, you look at Jim Jarmusch who shot all of the various vignettes and coffee and cigarettes in black and white and, mm. are, and are very much a part of that despite color film being readily available. Right. Or the original Clerks, which was in black and white. Mm-hmm. And I think In Color would not be as good a film. It would be Clerks 2, <laughs> which I still like. I like Clerks 2 a lot. I think it's a very silly but fun film. Um. I guess like the the prime example I can think of of hand two D animated stuff is the Studio Ghibli films. Yeah, I mean those are beautiful. Which are constantly in a like Miyazaki is constantly in a state of retiring. Yeah, it seems so. Who knows? Well, like he's how not long the only last. director in Studio Ghibli. I know, but he is he is <laughs> the most significant one. Yes. Um, yeah, him and Studio Ghibli are kind of synonymous. They, they have become so, yeah. particularly here in the West. Right. Um, uh, yeah. But that's a super good example of where 2D animation is trying very hard to do something that is very far away from photorealistic. Yes. Like, it is a wild style that is only mm-hmm. capable in that kind of hand yeah. animated. And I think that's really, and you know, one one becoming better does not mean the other has to go away or stop. Right. Although in the capitalist hollywood society like that's typically what happens yeah it's a weird product of like when the only thing you can do is 2d hand animated you're trying to make that really good on its own but Uh you're also still trying to make it photorealistic because photorealistic is always a goal yeah and then when you come up with a new method to make something photorealistic like you no longer have to try to make 2D animated stuff photorealistic because yeah. now you can try that with 3D. And then what's what's interesting CGI. is it reminds me of a, of a related problem that I see. Um, so there's a lot of theater being made still in the world despite it being a dead art form that nobody cares about anymore. Which is Correct. not true. But <laughs> <laughs> I say as a theater scholar. Um, there's a lot of really good theater that's being made out there. But there's also a lot of really bad theater that's being made out there. And it's not bad because... I mean, it is, some of it's just bad, but a lot of it is trying to replicate film. Oh, yeah. Um, and I say that in the sense that, uh, you know, theater is its own medium. You can do all sorts of really cool things with it because of the liveness of it, because of the interactivity, mm. because of the space requirements, the fact that it is happening in a, it's a thing that's happening in a space. Right. Like, you can do all sorts of really cool things there. But a lot of what's happening, particularly on like Broadway, which is what most people's only experience with theater is, and I'm, t- I'm speaking of plays rather than musicals, although musicals have this problem too, Okay, um, is they try and put a movie on stage. Um, it's super realistic. It's super representational mm. of like, I, you know, this Neil Simon's The Odd Couple being a, a perennial example. I don't know if you're familiar with The Odd Couple, but you, nope. it exists. Okay. It takes place entirely in one apartment. It's got like half a dozen characters, and it could happen in the real world. They made a movie out of it. They made two TV shows out of it. They made a third movie out of it, um, and it's it's real. Okay, like there's there's none nothing in it that's it, there's no difference from watching it on stage as there is on film, in my opinion. Okay, um, but film will always do realism better. Right. 
because you can film a thing in a place. You don't have to. Right. But, like, I could go to a fountain if I need a scene at a fountain and film it there, and then I'm at the fountain. Right. Even something as simple as, like, a shot where someone, like, drives up in a car and mm-hmm. steps out. Like, you can't do that on a stage. Yeah. You can't. And <laughs> and so much bad theater out there is trying to be filmed. Right. And the theater that's really good, in my opinion, that's not just a rel- uh, a rel well-written movie that's on stage is the theater that says no we're making theater we're going to make theater that exists and uses the strengths of this medium to its success right takes the limitations of being uh being theater Mm -hmm. and like uses those as strengths yeah yeah i mean you can look at something like uh frost nixon is a a play that i think won lots of tonys and probably a pulitzer i don't know Mm -hmm. Um, but it was a, a dramatization of the interviews between Frost and Nixon that mm-hmm. were very famous to where if the president does it it's not illegal uh, <laughs> came from and and where like Nixon first kind of admitted to wrongdoing in the whole Watergate scandal and it was right. a really big deal right uh, the film version of Frost Nixon could almost be the same script as the stage version hmm. but it makes in my opinion a better film because it's it's two people talking like some people don't like it because it's two people talking, like for a large portion of it. But right, but that works better. Like there's nothing. On film. There's nothing about it that requires it to be on stage. On stage. Yeah. Yeah. My I think the the example I'm thinking of is uh, Twelve Angry Men. Yeah. Which was started as a play. Yeah. And is a I have seen it. It's a I've, great film. I've, I've read the I've read the the play and I've watched the movie and mm-hmm. it's a great movie. Yeah. And, but it's almost. Like, I guess those would be, like, equal. Like, it's mm-hmm. not taking advantage of anything about being on a stage. Yeah. Because it's just a room of 12 people talking. Yeah. And yelling. There's two rooms. Two rooms. Um, I get semantic about 12 Angry <clears throat> Men. Excuse me. <laughs> uh, but, like, it's going to be, ju- it's probably going to be just as good if you're sitting in a seat watching it on a mm-hmm. stage or if you're sitting in a seat watching it on a screen. Yeah. Like, you're observing two and, rooms. Well, and I could, I could argue because it's an emotion driven thing because it's 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 about nuance and subtleties in a lot of ways mm-hmm. that it could almost work better on film because you can capture those because you can use different kinds of shots and different kind of lighting yeah, and blah, blah, and, blah. Like, and different you know framing and all these sorts of things that are really powerful yeah um, that you can't do on stage yeah but a lot of people think well like i have an idea for a story what does it look like as a movie now just remove all the camera movements and cuts yeah <laughs> and that happens and and it's not that you can't make that a good play but you know the things you can do on theater are like one of the really cool things that that, that theater does is you can't control where the audience is looking all right you can try like you can push action to certain areas you can you can do things but you can't tell the audience to look at a certain location on stage. way way less than you can on a film screen absolutely you can really control where an eyeball looks on a film absolutely screen. like technically you can look anywhere on a film screen but the focal point is very very but clear. when you see that close-up of the ring in frodo's hand right you're not like looking up his wrist yeah yeah you're not looking at his expression you're not you're looking where the camera wants you to look yeah and in theater you can't yeah you can't do that right and that's cool yeah, that is, I never thought about that. And that's powerful. 
And you can do interesting things with that. Because you can have something happening on one area of the stage and another another thing mm-hmm. happening on the other, and you can be paying attention to one or the other. Or, or because theater is live, you can have things happening in two different locations in a space mm-hmm. and not see one because you see the other. Right. So this is, I went to a play uh, not too long ago, uh, which had some flaws. Like, it was not a, a perfect show, but it had a lot of really good things. But one of the things it did is the second act... Uh, the theater where this play was taking place was attached to a bar, like an actual bar that was like just being a bar. Like people were coming to drink and have snacks and things and okay. hang out. Yeah. Um, in the second act of this play, the audience got split up into groups and taken to different parts of the theater and the bar and the yard and experienced different parts of this narrative. Like totally separate from totally the other separate groups. from each other, and then came and you could kind of look over and see them, but they were far enough away you couldn't tell what was going on. And then like come back together and eventually, do yeah. More. Well, and and then in some cases you would move from one to the other. But let's say there were six things that you could potentially have seen. I saw three of them. Wow, and so there's uh, that's and so- not just, and not just that I see them, I interacted with them. I was talking to the characters that were a part of this story. Oh, really? I had a thing, for example, that one of them wanted and was trying, and had been given to me by another character, and they wanted that, and they thought I had it, but I wouldn't tell them that I had it. What? I'm I I, I have no exposure to theater. Sure. Uh, so like everything you're saying is like, whoa, this is so crazy. Yeah. I couldn't have imagined that. And that's and that's a bit of an extreme version. But there's a show right. in New York that's been playing for a few years now called sleep no more which takes that kind of idea to an extreme Mm -hmm. so sleep no more takes place in a building and it's a it's a we'll say reimagining of the scottish play or Macbeth, Mm -hmm. and it takes place simultaneously throughout this building and Hmm. you as the audience member get to walk around the whole building and Mm -hmm. there's always something happening everywhere Mm mm-hmm See, like I like I hear <laughs> half of me hears that and goes, "Whoa, that's so crazy! What a cool mm-hmm. concept!" And the other half is like, "That's so flawed. You're not getting all the information." <laughs> like you've created a system where I'm not capable of getting all the information yeah. I need. Like that's wrong. <laughs> but no, it's amazing. Yeah, <laughs> that's really cool. Yeah, and I didn't see parts of of this play that I saw in, here in Austin. And uh, Amy went and saw different parts of it. Like she was in a different group than I was. Oh, cool. And we kind of talked afterwards, like, oh, did you do this? What happened here? That's so fascinating to me that, like, you can do that, like, split everybody up and mm-hmm. get different different parts of the play and then come back together afterwards and now you're watching the same thing again, but, ev- but everybody's has, watching something has else. different information and that's going to have a huge impact on what you watch afterwards. Absolutely. Wow. So, so the Iron Giant... <laughs> <laughs> so... We talk talking about like the the animation of the Iron yeah, Giant. Yeah, absolutely. One of my favorite uh, favorite scenes in the movie, mm-hmm. um, and it's one that like every once in a while I'll be like, oh, I just have to watch this, and I'll like go load it up on my computer and like, just scene. watch this scene. I love it so much. Is um, when they go to the lake to swim, and uh, the giant jumps into the lake. Yeah, and you and the wave, the the splash that. <laughs> that goes up, and then the wave that comes out, uh-huh. and the way and the way that um. So bad at character names. 
the beatnik guy, he's just like sitting in the chair and then just like whoosh is yeah. like washed away and everything yeah. floats and twirls around yeah. in the wave as the water. It's a beautiful scene. Oh, so beautiful. Like yeah. animation like that is amazing. And yeah. compared- I'm pretty sure that wave was CGI. <laughs> still, still, but like still, still beautiful. Absolutely. I don't care. Yeah. Um, but like compared to what you can do now with animated water mm-hmm. and like the Finding Nemo and Finding Dory yeah. movies and stuff are probably the best Which examples. invented animated water, <laughs> basically. Like, yeah, like, you can do incredibly detailed and realistic yeah. things, but, man, like, just something about that. But it doesn't, have to, be, so it doesn't have to be real to be good. And, and I think that's what a lot of CGI misses. Yeah. And, and Pixar doesn't really do this. And so, like, Pixar, if they're making something real, it's usually pretty good and I don't care. Yeah. But a lot of... CGI is trying to be as real as possible mm-hmm. without wondering if this scene needs that to be real. Without wondering if it needs to be as real as possible or can we take a step back into abstraction? Yeah. Uh, can we take a step further away from realness to better make a point or to to better convey what we're trying to do? Yeah. They, well, they almost... Sometimes Pixar does realness as like experiments and like in things that like aren't, don't matter. Yeah. Like, yeah the um the good dinosaur is a good example like it's a great story about mm-hmm. some dinosaurs and they're going on a journey and blah 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 but they went crazy intense on doing realness in like the landscapes mm-hmm. and it's incredible but they totally could have just like done it a little bit less detailed yeah. and it would have been an equal equally good and equally yeah. like impacting as a movie like would not have affected it at all yeah. but they were like cool this is our chance to just go like all in on like realism and landscape design. Yeah, I think this is tangential, but I think the reason I didn't go see the Good Dinosaur is because it had an amazing trailer. The first trailer for the Good Dinosaurs was amazing. Yeah, and every trailer after that made me less interested in the film because <laughs> uh, the original trailer was. I don't. I'm. I'm not going to explain it well, but uh, you see some dinosaurs. I think it was, it's at uh-huh. night. Wow, yeah. Dinosaurs. Uh, What's, what was the movie called again? The Good Dinosaur. Oh, got it. And it's a teaser trailer, and it's like 64 million years ago, the dinosaurs got wiped out. Oh, I remember But this what trailer. if yeah. the meteor that destroyed the dinosaurs missed? And you see the night sky, and you see this thing streak across the sky, and you see all the dinosaurs like look up from eating, can look around... And then go back to eating, and that's that's it. <laughs> and that was an amazing, yeah, so so clever because like that and what actually happened: giant rock hit the earth, massive explosion, yeah. everything died, and then yeah. this oh, little distraction. Okay, let's go back to eating. and they go back to thing. And so like the movie that I made in my head from that, yeah, was nothing like what the good dinosaur came out to be. Yeah, that's true. And so if that's your premise, is like oh, what if, what if dinosaurs didn't go extinct? Like, that's cool. That's a neat idea. And that's and not really what the movie's about at all. No. That was an excuse to get human characters and dinosaur characters yeah. in, the same, in the same place. But, like, I, I want to see the movie in present day in the world where dinosaurs didn't go extinct. <laughs> you mean the and, w- and the Pixar take on that. You not mean, a scientific, realistic version mean, of that. Okay, yeah. Because the realistic version is the one where all humans are dead. <laughs> yeah. That's the realistic version. I don't want that. But I want the Pixar version. <laughs> yeah, that'd be a really of, fun movie. 65 million years ago, dinosaurs didn't go extinct. Humans showed up somehow. Yeah. 
what does the world look like? What does the universe look like? Like, because Pixar does a great job of world building and not in terms of like crafting individual, like, you know, not like trees, like, no, oh, they made really good trees and a good dinosaur. But like, and, and I think Brad Bird is a part of this because the world building in Iron Giant was amazing. Like right. that, that world that exists, nothing, nothing to do with the actual 50s. Right. But reminiscent of and creating a world as if the 50s that we remember was real. Exactly. And creating that world in a 2D animated film as opposed to a Pixar film, but the same idea is there. Creating the world of Toy Story, creating the world of A Bug's Life, creating the world of Monsters Inc., creating the world of Finding Nemo. Yeah. And and creating these brilliant, complex, fascinating Wally. Wally. Oh, yes. The like, Incredibles. Like these worlds that exist that a story comes out of. Uh huh. Um, which The Good Dinosaur did not feel like a movie that that was happening. But. Yeah, that's a good point. It really did lack that. Um, I mean, even Cars like had that a little bit. Cars that might have been like the best thing about Cars was the world building. Like, yeah. it was what if Cars were sentient? And yeah, like, the incredible level of detail you go to, like, what if Cars were sentient? Like, yeah, how does that manifest? In like, a, how does in that exist? Universe? Yeah, um, which I don't think the Good Dinosaur had. No, but had you taken that level of world building to dinosaurs and humans live together in 2015? Yeah. What is that like? I want to watch that movie now. Right? Yeah. I don't want to watch The Good Dinosaur. Yeah. That movie mean, on my head is better. I mean, like, watch it sometime. Like, it's it was good. fine. But it was forgettable. Yeah. Anyway, what else did you think about The Iron Giant? <laughs> um, I was, honestly, and in movies with Mikey turned me around a little bit. I was a little disappointed in the villain. Okay. Uh, the The agent from nefarious government kent mansley kent mansley that's his name which is i mean again a perfect name yeah, yes it is like that's a perfect name for that <laughs> yeah. character and so that's like when that was pointed out it was like you know what okay you uh, get some points so is a hogarth hughes like oh <laughs> hogarth man if i have a son hogarth is going to be up there on the list really of names oh, that's so good Kent Mansley. But Kent Mansley was, A, like everyone else in that show, brilliantly acted, brilliantly drawn. Oh, yeah. Um, the the guy who does his voice is one of those, oh, it's that guy. <laughs> right. Uh, kind of people. And I actually had to be able to come up. And I've not since forgotten who it was. But I loved him. And, but I really think that his, I struggled the most with his arc. Uh-huh. From a storytelling perspective of like, hey, there's this bad thing and I hate it and go away. <laughs> um... <laughs> felt very flat to me yeah and but it, it, it felt like it needed to be there to tell the larger story and so i'm gonna give it a, a break there yeah he was much more static he just escalated his intensity yeah well there, he was not nuanced yeah um he was like a trump supporter in that way <laughs> <laughs> kent mansley would vote for trump yeah um but he uh, I really makes right. I really like him because, I mean, I, I really like his character because he's he's so funny, like, and he's acted yeah. he's acted so well, uh, like he's got he's got such an attitude. Oh, definitely. You know what I mean? Like all those things are great. I, I like I love I love his uh, like his nicknames for Hogarth. Like he's always calling him Champ and Sport. And, <laughs> uh, the, the the scene with them uh, facing each other down, going to sleep. That was a good scene. Really funny. That was he, a good scene. And then he wakes up and it's the... The pillows. Yeah. I don't know he pulled that off. Yeah, he's, a, he's a clever he's little kid. He's clever. That's what kids do in the 50s. They get themselves into hijinks. They do. There's a lot of hijinks. Yeah. Uh, 
the sculpture scene. I really like that where yeah. the Iron Giant was a sculpture. Yeah, that was, that was fun. Like hiding a, as yeah. a sculpture. Yeah, that was a that was a good bit. Yeah, I appreciated that bit. Um, yeah, it was a really good movie. Did you? Okay, so do you feel like it's a movie you'll like? watch again and again was it like affecting to you i feel like you've lost a lot of what the movie could have been to you by watching it at your age absolutely absolutely i i think that is the case yeah um i feel kind of the same way i did with uh the goonies Mm. um oh yeah the goonies wouldn't be anything if you didn't watch it as a kid and i didn't and i watched it again a few i watched it for the first time a few years ago and i was like oh that's that's cute i mean Iron Giant's a better film than The Goonies. Like, I, I'm not going to say that. But I, I missed out on that nostalgia. And, right. like, I'm not as excited about The Goonies. Like, it's cool, but yeah. I didn't love it. And, and, like, I watched The Goonies when I was a kid and loved it. And I'll watch it again, and I'm like, oh, yeah, The Goonies. It, yeah. It's not very impactful. The yeah. way The Iron Giant is. Like, I watch The Iron Giant now. I watch it, like, when right when you watched it because you yeah. told me that you watched it. I was like, <laughs> oh, I got to watch gotta The Iron watch Giant again. watch this movie again. Uh, I've probably seen it like 10 times, and uh, most of the time I cry when I watch yeah. it. It is so emotionally impacting. I can see me. that. Absolutely. Because I watched it the first time when I was, yeah, I don't know, 12. I mean, the, the comparison that Mikey Newman makes to Bambi, I think, is, is striking. Yeah. Uh, and I think really powerful. And I kind of caught that connection. I mean, there's obviously the scene... It's an actual deer dying. The deer dies yeah. in the movie. Like, they're making it obvious what they're doing. Yeah. Uh, but I, I was really, like, I could see the power in it mm-hmm. without it necessarily directly affecting me in the same way. Yeah. Yeah, because you have the maturity of an adult brain to, to look at it. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. <laughs> I thought his point, and I, I didn't realize this until I watched the movies with Mikey video, his point that um, in the movie, Hogarth has a Bambi moment where he realizes that death is real Mm -hmm. and while that's happening the audience is having a more mature version of the bambi moment where they're where we're realizing that like death is like meaningful and like even yeah even more than real yeah it has has a impact all the impacts and the meaning of death simply while horgoth like while horgoth is having the simple version of Of like like, oh things can die death is real and yeah yeah so it's cool. Well, that's that, that's like, true. That that, that, that dual layer levels. is definitely really cool. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> and I mean, the same argument he makes about about being afraid of the unknown is super mm-hmm. impactful. And and he, him looking at it through the vent, through the lens of the, uh, the Orlando shooting was really powerful. Yeah. And being like, this is what happens when we fear instead of love. Yeah. And and that hit me really hard. Yeah. Yeah, like, that was so I, I cried at the end of that of the movies with Mikey episode <laughs> more so than I did at the end of, of The Iron Giant. Yeah, he really hammers it home, especially when when I watched it so close to the events that Orlando yeah. actually happened. Yeah, well, he recorded it like day, the day of or the, day after. The, yeah, yeah, he said like the morning he found out. Yeah, and I'm, I'm sure that was not his original intent in, <laughs> no. making, that, in making that review, but... Man, did it fit, and and yeah. it still does. And yeah. you know, every time I hear things like, "Oh, we need to, we need to stop the immigrants from coming in. We need to stop these people from coming." Mm-hmm. There's this othering that happens that scares me. Yeah, 
Um, I sent you a text earlier today. I don't. I don't. I assume you got it about uh, the link to the podcast "Beautiful Anonymous." Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't listen to. That's it. okay. I didn't expect you to. Um, but the the premise of the podcast is amazing. It's it's quickly become my favorite podcast. It's was it's Chris Gethard. Chris Gethard. Yeah. Who I didn't know about before this. Like, I I was not aware of him existing. Really? Yeah. He's uh, very funny. Yeah. I mean, I really like him on this, on this show. He's not doing stand-up or anything. He's just talking to people. But the premise of Beautiful Anonymous, its full name is Beautiful Stories from Anonymous People. Um, he opens up this phone line. He tweets out the number and says, hey, call me. And he records a conversation for up to one hour. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's completely anonymous. No names. Like, he uses his name because it's his show. Right. Uh, but he has no idea who he's talking to. And the one rule is he can't hang up for one hour. <laughs> um, that is such a Chris Gethard premise. <laughs> I love that. Um, and so the other person can hang up. And most of the time they don't. Most of the time the, the episode goes the full hour and then, and then it automatically hangs up at the end of an hour. Hmm. It's like we've got one hour to talk to each other and then I'll never hear from you again. Wow, that's wild. Um, which is. It's, it is wild. Um, and the most recent episode that I think came out last week, this week, um, he had apparently tweeted out that he wanted to talk to someone over 50 um, because a lot of people who call in are people like you and I who are the kind of people who listen to Chris Gethard podcasts right um, and so he's like I want to talk to someone you know from you know a different generation or from you know, a different perspective and he's like oh, you know talk to someone over 50 yeah and uh, this woman calls in and they're talking and they're kind of you know they make some small chat and so he's, he's like you can talk about whatever you want you know it's your hour you can do whatever and she's like well what do you think about this Trump for president and it's an interesting conversation to get yourself cornered into. It is, and he <laughs> and he is, and he and and they have this conversation, and they're sort of talking about it, and and he's he's honestly engaging with her, like like yeah, in the way that we kind of talked about wanting to do, right? Which is why I texted her like, oh, it's that thing. Um, but her response has kind of scared me, mm-hmm. um, and because he'd he'd ask like, you know, questions about you know, you know, Trump's plan to like keep all muslims from coming into the country mm-hmm. um and her response is well you know we got to be careful you know we don't know who these people are we have to be protected from them and it's not a permanent thing but we just gotta we gotta stop it until we can figure out what's going on and who these people are mm-hmm. and and it's that sort and i mean in my mind immediately it's that othering yeah that the iron giant is about it's that, not it's not even like hatred no it's, it's not even like we hate muslims so let's keep them out it's like we don't know them those aren't people they're they're they're, they're not, different so they're yeah. scary yeah and and a lot of that and there's, i mean that's also tied into the whole wall that trump wants to build like right. that's that's related um and the iron giant as a depiction of othering and fearing that which we do not understand and not just like the the facts that we don't understand but the people we don't understand mm-hmm hugely impactful yeah like as like i don't know of a better filmic representation of that yeah uh i think there are i think there are films that try like x-men being an early example that's kind of like the whole point of x-men yeah like that's that's what x-men has always been about right that, that sort of like you know civil rights analogy right um but i i don't think any film has shown how othering the unknown how making the unknown not human mm-hmm. and while the iron giant is not a human <laughs> right he is human right like that's that's the point of the story because the 
the whole like first and second act is Hogarth discovering the humanity of the Iron Giant. Yes. And then the third act is, oh my god, army versus crazy yeah. robot they're afraid of. Yeah. But so so I mean he is he is a human, but he is a different human. He is different and he is just a other and fought against. And no other film like the X-Men or comic like the X-Men that that depicts like oh when people are different and we're mean to them it hurts them Mm -hmm. i don't know of a film or movie or book that shows how it can hurt us how the othering of others hurts Mm. us and it's made very literal in the iron giant he's like nuke it right fire we're gonna drop a nuke on this town that I'm in. Right, and Be- oh shoot, we're all gonna die because I'm protecting you. Yes, <laughs> like so. So from that perspective of like this hatred or this fear or this lack of understanding doesn't just hurt those that we other. It mm-hmm. does absolutely, and the Iron Giant pays that price. Yep. But it also can hurt us right. and will do so. Right. And not having that compassion does not just hurt those that we other, but damages ourselves and our society. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it was a pretty good film. Yeah. <laughs> so, all right. Um, that whole thing you just described mm-hmm. and the whole thing that the movies with Mikey thing was about yeah. was a... It's not something I never realized, but it, through the lens of the shooting in Orlando, like made that a very parent message. Of the Absolutely. Movie to me. Absolutely. The thing that I always attach to in the Iron Giant yeah. is, um, is the perspective of the Iron Giant. Okay. His, like the line that gets me every time. I know what it is because you've said it to me before I even watched the, the movie. <laughs> I've said it to you all the time. All the, the time. That I am not a gun. Yeah. Hit, like, and, and Hogarth, standing the shot Hogarth standing beneath him and the Iron Giant turns to him and draws yeah and he's like aiming his giant gun arm at him Uh and Hogarth is pleading with him like you are not a gun you are not a gun yeah and um like you are who you choose to be and Mm -hmm. and all all these great kind of cheesy lines yeah oh absolutely um cheesy doesn't have to mean bad but like oh it just rips me apart and it's not like it's not like I'm not like relating to the Iron Giant so much in the and like, that you're full of weaponry. Like, I'm some dangerous thing that just needs to turn away from my nature. Yeah, to, you know what I mean. But when when I when the Orlando shooting happened and I watched the movies with Mikey episode, mm-hmm. and he talked about how dangerous it is to other people. Can we ver- can we verb the word other? Can we- I've been doing it for the last. Ten minutes. Oh, okay. Yeah. To it, it's yeah. When, you, you can other people as yeah, other. and that's okay. that's that's an academic thing is yeah. the, the act of othering. It feels weird. I'll say it. Verbing nouns weirds the language. <laughs> <laughs> that's from Calvin and Hobbes. <laughs> oh, we should talk about Calvin and Hobbes sometime. <laughs> I got a couple books. Want to just read Calvin and Hobbes on microphone? Can I? Can I make you sad? <laughs> yes. I never really got into Calvin and Hobbes. Okay. Okay. Did that work? Are you sad? Very sad. Okay. Calvin Hobbes is like I can I can appreciate it academically. It's like the other super important thing from my childhood. <laughs> so, um, when so when we look at when we look at the Iron Giant through the lens of the Orlando shooting, mm-hmm. 
Kent Mansley, the crazy government agent, yeah. is, you know, the bigoted shooter mm-hmm. who others gay people and doesn't understand them mm-hmm. and so lashes out and harms them. Yeah. Right? Kent Mansley doesn't understand the giant. He is afraid of it and lashes out and does a terrible thing that mm-hmm. kills the giant and harms slash kills all the people in the town. Yeah. Right? Um, and that's bad and we shouldn't do it. And that's mm-hmm. kind of the lesson you can draw there. Yeah. But I also really related to like when you flip that around where the the giant's journey of like not knowing who he is mm-hmm. and then being um like unwillingly turned on you know what i mean like he, yeah. his programming kicks in because yes. the movie insinuates that he is a war machine mm-hmm. that was created to be a war machine yes. And when he lands on Earth, he has a bump in his head, and he doesn't know what he is, so he's yeah. kind of gentle and fun. Because he got hit by a, a meteor or something. I think it, I think it's mentioned or shown or something. Yeah. Um, but like his programming kicks in, and he becomes a weapon. Yeah. And he starts harming things, mm-hmm. and he knows because Hogarth has taught him deep down, like you're not a gun. You don't have to. You don't have to be a gun. You, yeah. Like you know, you are who you choose to be. All that good stuff. Um, to me, I related to that because. Like, I used to be somebody who thought gay people were bad. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, the person who shot up a, like, a club full of gay people can be compared to the Iron Giant, except the Iron Giant, except the person who shot up a club full of gay people never turned off his programming and realized that he didn't have to be a gun. Yeah. Like, I see that in the, like, you are so ingrained in the world around you and in the culture and the morals and the values of what's around you whether it be your family or your community or the internet or whatever, mm-hmm. where you're turned into somebody who hates gay people to a point where you want to shoot them yeah. a lot. And it's so, so, so hard to find your way out of that. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, Absolutely. And you are enabled by it by, and you know, in the movie, the Iron Giant's enabled by it by having an army shooting, yeah. you know, <laughs> guns and, and tanks at him, right? Uh-huh. A very obvious threat, but like, the army is that really obvious threat to the Iron Giant in the movie, but in real life, like things like gay people getting the right to marry feels like a threat to you. You want to lash mm-hmm. out, you want to attack, but like it's just such a good example of and such like an obvious thing of like you don't have to succumb to the influences and the programming yeah. of your environment and the people around you and what they tell you is right and wrong. Like you can choose. You're not a gun. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I was a gun. Well, that's big. Yeah. I was a person who thought gay people were bad. And then I, like, I got lucky enough to be placed into environments where that, you know, led me to believe that that wasn't true. Mm-hmm. And I didn't, and I became not a gun. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not saying I would have, like, gone down the path and, like, shot a lot of people because I hated no, them. but you could you could understand that mindset. But I would have continued to other them and harm them. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, I, you can be both sides of the, Absolutely. Of the Iron Giant yeah. metaphor. It's a good metaphor. Oh, man. You are who you choose to be. Yeah. Are you going to go watch that after we're done? I might. <laughs> I might watch it tomorrow. I love that movie so much. I'm trying to think if... If there's a movie that hits me like that, that I from like my childhood or from yeah. being a kid, and I don't know if there is one. Yeah, like I mean, there may be, but nothing's immediately coming to mind. 
and even though even though it hits me so hard yeah. and it makes me very emotional like it's still definitely like a comfort movie for me sure because i'm sure. so familiar with it like i just like i was trying to express with my feelings towards stranger things like yeah. such a comfort like you yeah. watch it because it just makes you feel at home mm-hmm. you know what i mean yeah when you also have the familiarity of it at this right. point as well which is really important right. and, and makes it easy to watch and i'm i'm honestly like trying to think of things that hit me like that um, from a comfort standpoint, a couple of years ago, I started rewatching Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. The TV show? The TV show. Wow, really? Because um, I, I was obsessed with that as a kid. Um, like, I went, I went really? from Ninja Turtles to Power Rangers, and it was, a, it was a switch. I was always more of a Power Rangers guy myself. Than Ninja Turtles? Yeah. That's because you're a baby. 